helping with inquiries. We waited on the landing for about 35 minutes during which the policeman asked me a few simple questions that established who I was and why I had entered the flat. Eventually a police car pulled up followed a minute later by a white van and then a police minibus. Detective Constable Green, a slightly cadaverous man who reminded me strongly of a Victorian curate, jogged up the fire escape and looked me over carefully before turning to the policeman. Well Davis, what do we have here? While on my beat, I was alerted that a Mr. Courtney had reported a burglary at this address, and I was diverted to investigate. Before I had reached here, I was informed that Mr. Courtney had found a badly injured man and called for an ambulance, he had also reported that the man had been stabbed. I arrived to find the two dogs tied to the fire escape and the door open. As I entered the flat Mr. Courtney called in here and I went into a studio. I found Mr. Courtney, here, on his knees, attempting mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I felt for a pulse, and it was immediately apparent that the victim, a Mr. Gregory Adams, was dead. I led Mr. Courtney outside and remained with him. I did not touch anything else in the flat. That's good, I think we can leave the flat to forensics. D.C. Green turned to me. I trust you have no problems being seen by the forensics team before accompanying me to the station? You are, at least, the last person to see Mr. Adams alive and your statement could be very important. Not at all I'm happy to help but there is just one thing. The detective looked at me quizzically so I continued, I'm worried about the dogs, it is going to be a hot day and they should be in the shade. Can I drop them at the gallery before I accompany you? These are both your dogs? No, the Labrador is mine. The staffy belonged to Mr. Adams, but as far as I know Gregory has no immediate family so I intend to look after his dog until I can find him a new home if that is alright with everyone. Did you secure the staffy here? No, he was tied up when I arrived, but he was on a cruelly short lead, so I loosened it slightly. I saw a frown cross the policeman's face and realizing what I'd done continued contritely, I'm sorry I shouldn't have touched the lead I just wasn't thinking. I do not think it would be a good idea for you to go anywhere at the moment. I will, However, arrange for them to be dropped off for you. Where did you say? The Laughing Labrador Gallery and please tell Miss Reynolds that I'll collect them later. The DC escorted me down the staircase and handed me over a man who was standing at the white van. Good morning, Mr. Courtney, I'm Leo Upshaw and I'm a forensic technician. My job is to preserve any evidence that might be on your person. The tests that I'm going to do are all non-intrusive. The forensic procedures were interesting. The technician photographed me taking some close-ups of my hands and face. He then took some scrapings from under my nails and swabs were used to take blood samples from my skin. Finally, he asked for my outer clothes which were bagged up for future analysis. Eventually I was allowed to clean my face and hands and I was given a slightly baggy set of overalls to wear. When I left the van the detective constable was talking to a uniformed inspector and a man in civilian clothes. Seeing me the DC excused himself and came over. The doctor has just confirmed that the victim is dead and as soon as forensics finishes with the crime scene he will be taken to the morgue. D.C. Green gestured towards the civilian. You mentioned earlier that you didn't know of any immediate family. Can you suggest anyone who can identify the body? I know you've told us who he is, but we have to have a formal identification. There's Mark Bulmer, the estate manager. Gregory rented from the estate, so Mark has had business dealings with him. Thank you, Mr. Courtney. I'll drive you to the police station and take your statement. While there they'll want to take your fingerprints and a DNA sample so that we can identify any traces you left in the flat. As I got into the police car, I became aware that some of the neighbors were watching the proceedings with great interest. I was certain that a couple were filming events on their mobile phones. Clips of video that would undoubtedly end up on the internet. 
As the DC got in by my side, I found myself smiling. What do you find amusing? He asked, I would have thought that you would have been embarrassed. It's embarrassing right enough, but as a struggling writer a little bit of publicity and misplaced notoriety might help my sales. Detective Constable Green laughed and in a strangely companionable silence we were driven to the police station. On arrival at Bridport the Green handed me over to a sergeant who led me to a room where a civilian took my fingerprints using a machine and asked for a DNA swab. It was explained to me that as I hadn't been arrested my fingerprints and DNA could only be used to eliminate me from the inquiry. If I had been arrested the police would have performed an active search to see if I had been linked to any outstanding crimes. Eventually I was shown back to the interview room and the sergeant provided me with a cup of tea. A rather overly brewed cup of tea, into which some misguided soul had put sugar, but for all its defects it was warm and rather soothing. A police interview room, by its very nature, does not contain much in the way of amusement and after a couple of minutes the average person will have exhausted it as a source of entertainment. I spent some time running through the events of the day in an attempt to order my thoughts for the forthcoming interview. I had hoped that some reflective thought would give me a clue to the identity of my friend's murderer but the only thing that occurred to me was that the paintbrushes in his eyes were Delaire Roney size 1 which Gregory had probably bought for me in the first place. I had moments panic when I realized that my fingerprints might actually be on the murder weapons. A few minutes thought and I remembered that I had been instructing our artist's group at the time of the murder, so I had nothing to worry about. I was starting to get bored when the door opened, and a middle-aged and rather frumpy woman entered the room followed by a tall athletic man in his mid-thirties. Out of politeness I stood up as they entered. Do sit down Mr. Courtney, she snapped at me, a scowl causing deep lines to show across her face. I am Detective Inspector Perkins, and my colleague is Detective Sergeant Linton. I understand that you have waived the right to have legal representation during this interview. Something about this woman made me feel that I might come to wish that I had opted for legal representation. Good morning, Detective Inspector Perkins, Detective Sergeant Linton, I responded politely, before smiling at her. I understand that I'm providing you with a statement of this morning's events as the person who found Mr. Adams' body. As this is the case it never occurred to me that I'd want to waste my solicitor's time. If, however, I feel that my interests are being compromised I reserve the right to review my decision whenever I choose. Her scowl deepened and she glared at me as if I was something nasty, she'd found under a stone. I decided that I had better limit the clever remarks with this woman. It was quite obvious that she had already written me off as someone that she didn't like. Before anything else was said a constable knocked on the door and requested a quick word with the detectives. They left the room and after a few minutes the constable reappeared. I'm sorry Mr. Courtney, the DI has been called away for a short while, can I get you another cup of tea while you wait? I accepted his offer and settled down with a second, and quite noticeably better cup of tea. The minutes dragged by, and I found my eyes getting heavier until I dozed off in my chair. Perhaps it was reaction to the stresses of the morning or sheer boredom, but I was awakened as the door to the interview room opened and Lady Charm entered followed by D.S. Linton. I'm sorry to disturb you Mr. Courtney but I need to hear your account of this morning. I shook my head to clear the last effects of my sleep, the detective inspector's voice was full of sarcasm a trait that went well with her total lack of charm. I decided not to let her get under my skin since willing, helpful cooperation was the quickest way back to the gallery. Certainly, Detective Inspector, I replied in a helpful tone of voice. We are all busy people here. Detective Sergeant Linton quickly explained the mechanics of the interview. They would ask me questions to establish who I am and then get my statement for the events of the morning. When we had finished the statement would be typed up and I would be asked to sign a copy. There was a friendliness of manner about the DS that appealed to me. 
For the record, Mr. Courtney, D.I. Perkins began the interview in a clipped professional manner, could you please tell us your full name, your age and your address? John Peter Courtney, I'm 53 years old and my address is 21 Cliff Road, Chidiac Whitchurch, Dorset. Your occupation? I am part owner, as one of the Chidiac Whitchurch Artistic Cooperative of the Laughing Labrador Gallery, I manage the gallery for the cooperative. I'm mainly an author although I do some painting and teach some art classes. You seem to be rather busy for an artistic type. There was a definite hostility in the detective inspector's voice. Do you manage the gallery because you aren't much good at your artistic enterprises? I started to bridle at her tone before remembering that she was deliberately trying to needle me, and I would come out worse if I lost my temper. On the contrary inspector most artists are very busy people. I manage the business because I can write anywhere and the gallery can be very quiet at times, especially in the winter. I paint, a bit, because I enjoy it and it is good business sense to have at least one artist in residence at the gallery. Primarily I'm a writer and I hope to think quite a good one. What type of things do you write, Mr. Courtney? Detective Sergeant Linton interjected with what sounded like genuine curiosity. The Queen of Charm shot him a look that should have blistered paint, but he ignored his superior's obvious ire at his intrusion. I write in a variety of genres, I answered with enthusiasm, most writers love to talk about their work, and I am no exception. My first book was a detective novel set in the Victorian period, but I've played around with fantasy, science fiction and comedy. It's fair to say that most of my work is in, what the Americans would refer to as, the cozy mystery genre. I find it fun to write. Detective stories, science fiction and cozy mysteries? It doesn't sound as if you are contributing much to literary heritage. The sarcasm could have been cut with a knife as the inspector delivered this appallingly low blow. I don't pretend to write great literature and I don't expect to trouble the Booker Prize Committee anytime soon, I responded slightly tartly. I write to entertain my readers. So, you write detective stories. Do you think that you understand how the police process a murder inquiry? I like to think that I have a good understanding of the way the Victorians worked. I'm not certain enough to attempt a modern police procedural novel without an awful lot more research but you spend some time thinking about or more accurately planning the perfect murder. It goes with the territory, unfortunately, you can't write a detective novel concerning a murder without getting the mechanics of the deed properly worked out. I leant back in my chair, locking my hands behind my neck and stretched to relieve the physical tension I was feeling. The D.I. watched me like a hawk and a small smile of satisfaction playing on her lips. But a perfect murder? I don't think so. Why not? Simply because when you are writing commercial fiction you want your book to sell and, therefore, you want your heroes to solve the crime and catch the killer. Do you write stories where the killer manages to outwit the police force but is only brought to book by the inspired guesswork of a gifted amateur like Miss Marple? My detective books have had as their hero a gifted detective inspector. The murderer needs to get away with it for a time or else there would be no real excitement in the book. Do you think you could plan a perfect murder if you wanted to? I don't think so. Modern forensics seem to have shifted things quite far in the favor of the police force and all the killer would have to do is make one small mistake, one eyelash and the police can have a DNA match. That's why I prefer to write in the era before even the adoption of fingerprints, the hero has to solve the case through logic and deduction without any shortcuts. That's well reasoned but unfortunately for us a lot of victims know their murderer and in those cases a hair proving that the killer was in the victim's flat means little if the killer was a regular and innocent visitor prior to the crime. She stared at me for a few seconds, you knew Gregory very well I understand and were a regular visitor. I knew him, I agreed. I often visited him especially with his retrospective coming up. So did quite a few other people. 
You spoke of commercial fiction. You probably don't make much with your writing, the D.I. remarked hitting the fatal flaw in my occupation. How do you make ends meet? Did you kill Gregory Adams because of money? His flat was ransacked after all. This accusation made me snort with a wry laughter, before I could come up with a withering put down, she deserved Perkins was back at me like a starving seagull after your portion of chips. What's so funny? Why do you find a man's death humorous? I don't find Gregory's death at all funny, I replied soberly. I find your allegation risible, if you knew anything about my poor friend you would realize that no one would kill him for money. He was a generous man who would always willingly share the little he had. He could have been well off, but he often gave his paintings away or sold them for less than cost. I paused for a moment to glare at her and as soon as she started to speak I deliberately and rudely spoke over her. Seeing a flash of anger in her eyes I wondered if part of her attitude problem was gender-based. In answer to your earlier question. You are right my novel writing doesn't make enough for me to live comfortably. I earn some money writing articles and a large slice comes from being what you might call a hired pen. I also do some art books for the cooperative, which, along with my painting, meets my bills. A hired pen, I like that description, what do you do? Once more Linton interrupted the proceedings and his polite, well-modulated question was enough for me to curb my temper. I ghostwrite books for other people, which I then publish for them. Things like family histories, granddad's memories of the war that sort of thing. They are small runs normally only for family and friends. Vanity Publishing The inspector snorted with derision. Not at all, I replied. It isn't vanity to record your experiences. And if I copy edit a few books for amateur writers and help them self-publish there is no shame in my getting paid for my expertise. You mentioned that you do art books for the cooperative? I thought that it was a pity that Sergeant Linton hadn't been doing the interview on his own. I had the feeling that he would have covered all the salient facts quickly and efficiently. Yes, we produce coffee table books on local artists. I lay out the books and having interviewed the artist write the descriptions of the paintings and a potted biography. That was part of the reason I went to see Gregory this morning he was to be the featured artist at our summer exhibition and, as usual, we decided to bring out a book on his work. We tend to sell quite a few books if they contain plates showing the paintings that our visitors have seen at exhibitions. I had mocked out an outline of his art book and needed to run through it with him. I left it with him on Monday and needed his input as I had intended to get the book finished, published and the first proof ordered this weekend. I think we understand what you do Mr. Courtney, the DI took the questioning over again. What is your marital status? I'm single. Do you live with a partner or have you ever? No, I live alone except for my animals. I've never married. I noticed that you were very quick to lay claim to Mr. Adams' dog. I put it to you that you and Mr. Adams were in a relationship that had broken down and the two of you could not agree to the custody of the animals. In a fit of pique, you killed your gay lover and then tried to cover up the murder. I spluttered for a moment then she continued relentlessly. It would explain why you were in his flat early in the morning. Some of the neighbors heard sounds that were probably caused by a domestic argument. She smirked at me and sat back with the air of a cat playing with a particularly fat mouse. Detective Inspector I do believe that you are guilty of some prejudice stereotyping. Just because we both belong to an artistic cooperative and lived what you probably consider to be a bohemian lifestyle you assume that we were in a homosexual affair. You probably, in your prejudice, imagine that we spent our time indulging in drug-fueled orgies. A sense of outrage blew caution to the winds, and I continued, for your information I am heterosexual I just haven't met the woman I want to settle down with. Gregory as it happens had homosexual leanings but ever since I've known him, he hasn't been in a relationship. I think that he got all the release and fulfillment he needed through his art. 
I don't think his sexuality matters a damn. He was a good man who's been brutally killed. I agreed to come to the station and cooperate with your investigation because it seemed to be the right thing to do. If, however, you make another insulting accusation based on nothing more than your own prejudices I will walk straight out of this room. If you then want to talk to me further, it will be with a solicitor present. A strange silence settled over the room. Detective Inspector Perkins leant back in her chair and made a small gesture to her colleague. After a few seconds D.S. Linton looked at his notebook and restarted the interview. How long have you known the victim? I met him three years ago when I moved to Chidiac Whitchurch and joined the cooperative. You are a relative newcomer then where did you live and what did you do before coming here? I was originally an engineering manager for a firm in Plymouth, but I badly broke my shoulder on a business trip. While I was recovering from that they made me redundant just before I had corrective surgery. I moved back to my father's house in Bournemouth to recuperate and stayed on when I got a job in Poole. Thirteen years ago, I was made redundant again and decided to try my hand at writing. My father had a bad stroke, and I became his resident carer until he died. I was finding it hard to move on and a friend suggested I make a new start, so I moved here. I started working as a writer but one evening I got into a conversation with a few of the locals at the Fisherman's Arms who were moaning about some problems they were having setting up a new gallery. I told them that they needed a project manager to ensure that their vision became reality. They asked what I knew about the subject, so I gave them a summary of my job in Plymouth. The next morning, to my surprise, several people visited my, one of them being Lady Jacqueline, and I was offered a contract to manage the new gallery conversion. I demurred but when I learned how much Lady Jacqueline was willing to pay for a three-month contract I accepted. So, you are solely motivated by money? Lady Charm almost purred her rhetorical question at me. Not in the slightest, I snapped back and saw a gleam of satisfaction as she heard the anger in my voice. Getting a hold on my emotions I continued in a more reasonable tone, the truth was that my move here had been more costly than I had planned, and the gallery contract would fill in my shortfall quite nicely. A side benefit was that I got to know more people. The outcome was very positive. I got the job done before the deadline and quite substantially under budget. They must have been pleased because after I joined the cooperative, they offered me the position of manager. So far, it suited me very nicely. I could see that the detective inspector was not very happy for some reason, and I expected her to make another charming comment. To my surprise she just waved her pen at D.S. Linton. Once more he scrutinized his notebook before asking, What happened this morning? Please tell us everything you did since you woke up. My alarm went off at three in the morning and I got up to feed the cats and let the dog out. Why so early? I could tell that Linton was curious. Is this your usual time? I do tend to wake up quite early, sergeant, but not normally that early. The cooperative runs painting holidays for amateur artists, and I take the dawn's early light session. This starts an hour before dawn, so I have to be at the harbor half an hour earlier to help our assistant, Tony Marsh, unload the van and help get our guests set up. Sunrise is about 10 past 5 today, so a 3 o'clock start is necessary. How often do you do this? Roughly once a week during the summer. We select the morning based on the weather forecast but cancel the session if the weather is particularly bad. Why do you run this session? I'm a bit of an insomniac, I normally sleep only 3-4 to four hours a night so it's easier for me to do the unsocial session. What happened this morning? I put the kettle on and made some tea, then I had a quick shave and wash. I drank my tea while eating a couple of biscuits. I took my pills and left the house with honey and walked to the harbor. Who's honey? She's my young platinum Labrador, she accompanies me everywhere. I looked round meaningfully, well almost everywhere. Ah yes. 
There was a mention of her in the original incident report. Linton looked at me carefully, what pills are these? I have Meniere's disease, so I take two drugs to control the symptoms. D.S. Linton raised his eyebrow inquiringly, Meniere's affects the inner ear and your sense of balance so I suffer from feelings of extreme vertigo as well as nausea. At the same time, I suffer from bad tinnitus and deafness in the affected ear. How badly does it affect you? On a bad day it's like riding a roller coaster while on a cross-channel ferry in a gale, I paused for effect, after drinking eight pints of cider. Is today a bad day? No, it's actually quite good but since Meniere's could be stress-related it might go downhill considering the morning I've had. You were walking to the harbor, when did you arrive? Just after 3.30, Tony passed me just as I was turning onto the quay, and I helped him set up the places for our amateurs. We make sure that they have identical painting kits, which we supply for the duration of the course. We get their boxes out and set up their easels. There is always some rearrangement when our guests arrive but by 4 o'clock, I had started my session and was talking about the pre-dawn light. How many people were in your class this morning? There are 12 people on this week's holiday, three of them a Mr. and Mrs. Wilson and a Miss Charles gave the session a miss. They are all in their 80s. The other nine were there on time and it was a good class. If you ask Miss Reynolds at the gallery, she can give you a list of their names and their accommodation. Isn't it hard to paint before dawn? The false dawn gives sufficient light to start making sketches from about an hour before the sun rises. The point of the class is to show how transitory the lighting effects are. I encourage my classes to take lots of digital pictures between quick wash sketches of the scene. They can then select their favorites and do a painting once they get home. Why do you encourage them to do that? It's a technique I learnt from Gregory Adams, he did most of his paintings in his studio working from photographs and sketches. He used to say that while photographs give you accuracy, the sketches capture the mood. Once the sun came up several of my group started actual paintings of the harbour. During my answer the detective inspector leant forward with a sudden look of interest. You say Mr. Adams painted from photographs, she asked. Would you mind describing his technique? It was simplicity itself, he would take photographs, he had a good quality digital camera, of views and scenes that interested him and then do a quick sketch with watercolors or watered-down acrylics. The sketches were more about how his eye perceived color. Once he was happy, he'd take his camera into a chemist and print those photographs he wanted. Often, he'd pay for enlargements. He didn't print his own photographs? Gregory was always a perfectionist and he felt that the prints from the chemist were of a higher quality. I paused for a second and thought, I know he always downloaded his photographs onto his laptop so he could zoom in and check specific details. What did he do with his sketches? He always used the same size of sketchbook, A3, and there would often be a main sketch and several detailed drawings on each sheet. Where did he keep his sketchbooks? He'd made a special shelf for them by the window in his studio, he must have had 30 or 40 of them. By your account you say that he had a laptop, a lot of photographs, a good camera and a shelf full of sketchbooks. The D.I. raised her hand to stop me as I began to reply, Please think carefully Mr. Courtney, when was the last time you visited Mr. Adams? On Monday, I was looking through his paintings to decide which ones I wanted for this year's exhibition. Were the computer and sketchbooks there at the time? The computer was definitely there because I downloaded some photographs of his previous work for inclusion in his art book. He also gave me some digital copies of previous paintings for inclusion in the exhibition. Digital copies? Gregory never disposed of a painting without making a photographic record of it for his own use. That's interesting? The detective sergeant unconsciously rubbed his hand over his chin. When we examined the crime scene there weren't any finished pictures, sketchbooks or photographs in Mr. Adams' flat. 
someone had taken them all. I assume that your book layout is also missing. That's appalling, I exclaimed deeply shocked by the revelation. All I could think of this morning was my poor dead friend and those terrible mutilations. The detective inspector watched me for a few moments and then continued with the questioning. Could you tell us what happened between sunrise and your finding the body? At roughly half past six I warned my class that they had an hour left. I wandered round and collected their breakfast orders. At seven when Mrs. Heaton opened the key bakery I walked over and handed over the order. Tony Marsh arrived at roughly half past seven and I helped load the van. From about 7.40 to 5 past 8 I was enjoying breakfast and talking to my group. I left the bakery and started home. I met Lady Heston Limpney who was taking her horse to the beach at about quarter past 8 and reached Gregory's flat a few minutes later. As soon as I got to the top of the fire escape, I could see that his dog was cruelly tied to the railings and the door was ajar. I looked into his flat I could see there had been a robbery, so I called the police. Why did you automatically assume that there had been a robbery? Gregory was a very neat person. One of his kitchen knives was lying on the table and his bureau had been turned over. You were told to stay outside why did you enter the flat? I heard a groaning noise and decided to investigate. I walked into the flat and saw some blood in the hall. I continued on and found Gregory lying stabbed and. The nausea that I had avoided that morning threatened to overcome me, and I sat there swallowing. To my surprise Detective Inspector Perkins passed me a glass of water. Are you okay to continue? She asked a few moments later. Thank you, I've never seen anything more horrific. I made another call to the emergency services but as I ended the call Gregory tried to say something. His voice was very weak, so I didn't hear what he said. I asked him to repeat himself and he made a great effort. I think he said it's something in the teapot but there was a pulse of blood, and I didn't hear the middle word. Are you sure that's what he said? As sure as I can be, I answered regretfully, but between my partial deafness and Gregory's weak voice I may have misheard. I just can't be certain. A knock on the door signaled the arrival of the constable with another message for the detective inspector. She left the room and was back within a few minutes. One final thing Mr. Courtney, she paused for effect. I was informed, just before we started this interview, that when Miss Reynolds arrived at the gallery this morning, she found that it had been burgled. Apparently, the thief has taken all of Gregory Adams' paintings, the gallery's computer and your backup discs. What the? I started to my feet but was stopped by a quiet laugh from the detective inspector. If that wasn't the reaction of a genuinely surprised man, Matthew, she said to her colleague, I don't deserve to be doing my job. That last interruption, Mr. Courtney, was a report from the officers in Chidiac Whitchurch. One of the neighbors' reports being woken by loud noises from the upstairs flat about five o'clock. That puts you in the clear. I thought you would like to know. Detective Inspector Perkins smiled warmly for the first time that morning. If you think of anything else, please let us know. I don't care how trivial it is. Thank you, Detective Inspector, I think. I replied slightly uncertainly. I'm not really that hard-nosed she smiled at my confusion. I find that sarcasm is a very useful tool when you want to get an interviewee annoyed. I see, angry people don't weigh their words and can let things slip. The D.I. smiled genuinely at me and asked me to wait a few minutes while they sorted out some transport for me. After that it was plain sailing. The police offered to drive me home to change but I elected to go to the gallery as I keep a spare set of work clothes in my office for when I'm painting. I also, understandably, wanted to get there as soon as possible. Copyright 2014 Robert M. War. All original rights reserved. 